You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. The car feature with Nicole Lowe. Time for the car feature, 011-883-0702. The SMS line, 31702. Your tweets at M at Radio 702 using the hashtag 702 Afternoons. And the WhatsApp line, 072-702-1702. So do get in touch with us to uh, share any of your technical car questions i haven't been with nickel in a while so it is good uh, uh, and so nice to be back to be uh, doing this so any of your technical car questions get in touch with us nicolo how are you doing long time yes long time no here literally long time no here um but today you want to tell us a little bit i mean obviously petrol is, has gone up diesel has gone up i didn't even know that there are are little devices that you can put in your car to save gas yeah, we'll talk about those devices shortly. So it's called fuel-saving devices, and it's actually companies that uh, try to scam poor people out of money when the fuel prices rise. So do you think these, these uh, fuel-saving devices can work, Rebukhile? I, I feel like they can work, but I feel like there's a catch. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, there's so a catch, it's too good to be true. <laughs> yes, in, in my previous life, I, w- I was a technical editor, uh, editor at Car Magazine. Hmm. So we actually purchased all the, the kind of fuel-saving devices we can lay our hands on. And now we're talking about fuel additives. We're talking about magnets that you put around the fuel line, uh, little fans that you put on the intake uh, to the engine, the air intake. Even a little, like a, like a crystal metal thing that you throw in the petrol tank. And they all, all promise you between a 5 and 20% fuel saving. They each cost a couple of hundred rands. And you think to yourself, whoa, it's pressing time. Shouldn't I try one of these? Um, so what we did is we bought all of them. Uh, we went to uh, Sassel's Fuel Laboratory in, in uh, Musenberg. And the only way to test these devices is actually under controlled conditions. There's no way you can test a fuel-saving device on the road. It's just too many variables at play. Yes. So we had a test engine. We had a set cycle that the engine would run. We controlled all the conditions. And how you do it is you first run the cycle without any of these devices for it. Then you fit these devices one by one, and you, you, you run the cycle again for each device. And then right at the end, you do another run without any devices. Calling, they call it a baseline test again, just to see that nothing has changed. Maybe atmospheric conditions or something in the engine changed to make sure that, that everything is still stable. And uh, would you guess it, uh, Rebukhile? Um, zero fuel saving, not, not even a bit on one of those devices. So a scam, basically. So it's basically a big scam. Um, the reason why they don't work is the modern internal combustion engine is so efficient or adapted to actually extract the energy from the fuel. Um, they talk about during that combustion process, like 99 point something percent of the energy actually gets released. We know, roughly speaking, that only a third of the energy reaches the wheels. Another third is lost to the cooling system. Another third is lost through the exhaust system. Um, but these, all these devices, they tend to claim that they can improve the combustion process. So they will say, the magnets will say that now they realign the molecules and then the combustion will be better. The fan will say, no, but it, it actually turns the air, it swells the air before it goes into the engine. So that improves combustion. Fuel additives claim to improve combustion. But it's all rubbish because there's no improvement to be had because they're already at 99 whatever percent. Um, so there's no chance of these devices actually working. Um, 
But can we talk about the placebo effect? Yes, please. So now you spend your heart and cash buying one of these devices. You fit it to your vehicle. And uh, for the first month or so, you think, well, I've paid a lot of money. You don't even realize now you're driving a bit slower, you're a bit more careful, so on. And the first time you fill up, you think, oh, yo, can you believe it? A 10% fuel saving, this really works. And then you write a, a review to one of these companies and they put it on their website and say, well, we've got a customer here. You had a, a 10% fuel saving fitting our device. Um, but what you don't realize, it, realize is in a month or two's time, you, you, you go back to your old driving habits, the fuel uh, saving is gone, and you're back to original fuel numbers, and actually the device doesn't work. It's a, it's a, it, it works with the psychology of the, of the human mind that in the first couple of weeks or months, you will save fuel because you, you're driving differently than you used to. <laughs> so then aren't you supposed to say to us you're actually buying it for the placebo effect, which inadvertently makes you save petrol? <laughs> yeah, but we, we can talk about uh, how to really save fuel. What, what about some real uh, facts to save fuel? Can I tell you what we discussed yesterday before you tell us, Nickel? Yes. So we decided that just um, instead of paying for petrol, pay for wine and then drink and then walk wherever you need to go. I think it will be expensive, but it will be nice. The, the more you drink, you won't even know how far you've gone. Exactly. So um, <laughs> what are the fuel-saving t- uh, tips that yeah, we so need? Tips, so real tips that will work. So first of all, if you want to save all the fuel, then don't drive. Work from home. I mean, we've all been through COVID. We know how to work from home. So I know ESCOM is a problem at this stage, but the working from home saves all the fuel. Then when you have to drive to the office, um, Take a colleague, do, do ride sharing. I mean, I see so many cars still on the highways with single person in each vehicle. So you can immediately half your fuel bill by just taking a, a colleague along. So that's pretty easy. And then if you think about fuel consumption, it's all about energy. So the bigger the vehicle, the heavier it is, the more um, aerodynamic drag like uh, roof racks and bull bars and big tires um, the more energy you need to propel that vehicle. So the, the, the bigger, the larger the vehicle, the more fuel you will use. So if you're buying a new vehicle, you want to save fuel, go for a small vehicle with a small engine, and that's already a, a good start. Then um, driving style is a big influence on, on, on uh, fuel consumption. So don't be aggressive with accelerator. Try to lower your average speed. We know that um, aerodynamic drag goes up by the square of the speed. So even dropping like 10 kilometers per hour below the speed limit will dramatically save fuel. Um, also treat the accelerator almost like if there's an egg underneath that you don't want to crack. So be gentle with accelerator. What, what people also tend to forget is that braking also wastes a lot of energy. So imagine if you if you race up to a traffic light, it, it gets to the red, and you have to slam on the brakes to stop. Now you're wasting all the energy you paid for to get to that initial speed in the first place. So when you see a red traffic light from a long way off, start to decelerate. Don't don't like to drive up to the traffic light and then slam on the brakes. This is one uh, another tip to to save fuel. But yeah, our fuel prices are spiking at the moment. I think we're all hurting. Yes, we definitely are. Thank you so much uh, for that, uh, Nickel Low, something that affects all of us. So there you go. These fuel-saving devices actually do nothing but make you think you're saving fuel, which you kind of save fuel, but it's not a long-lasting thing. So preferably do not do it. 011-883-0702. Get in touch with us to ask Nickel Low any of your technical car questions.
And every time I'm driving in the coastal region, my engine is running at very low temperature. It sits at 50. But as I start to move inland uh, towards Gauteng, uh, at Bloemfontein, somewhere around those areas, it gets to about 70 degrees Celsius. And then when I'm in Gauteng or Guruman or uh, the northwest, um, I'm at 90 degrees Celsius on, on the dots. So um, I'd like to ask, what, what, what's causing that? Uh, every time I'm in Cape Town, KZN, Port Elizabeth, um, the engine runs very low temperature, and then when I'm inland, it's at 90 where it's supposed to be. Okay, it's a very interesting question because the the location shouldn't it, uh, the, the dictate the temperature that the engine is operating at. 90 degrees is the normal operating temperature, which you'll see on the temperature gauge. Um, so I don't know if your drive cycle is different, maybe to at the ocean and inland, or the ambient condition is, is maybe it's cold at the ocean and, and warm inland. I'm not so sure, but even that, even in cold ambience, you should expect your operating temperature of the engine to be 90 degrees. So on your cooling system, uh, you've actually got a thermostat that controls the, the water flow through the engine block. So when it's cold, it actually prevents circulation of coolant through the engine block to heat it up faster. And then when it gets to that 90 degrees, it will open up fully to allow the coolant to circulate and then run at operating temperature. So for me, it's very strange what you're describing. So number one, I would say check the, the actual gauge. Make sure if you take it to a an auto electrician will easily check if the gauge is working fine. So that's the first thing you need to check. If that's operating fine, it works on a voltage sensor, on a temperature sensor in the coolant. And then you need to see if your thermostat is operating uh, correctly. Um, and any radiator type place will be able to test, test the, the, the thermostat is basically just a valve that opens and closes. So there shouldn't be a reason why even, even with altitude or with temperature, if you drive long enough, um, it should get to 90 degrees. I know a diesel engine tends to take a lot longer to warm up in the winter than a petrol engine. And uh, for all of those that uh, wake up early here in the whole thing and need to drive in the cold, if you're in a diesel car, you know it takes a while for the, for the heater to actually blow some hot air through the, through, the, through the system inside the cabin. Petrol engines much quicker, but eventually it should all reach uh, 90 degrees. I hope that helps. Does that answer you, Zippo? Okay. Yes, thanks. I'll have a check out. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Zippo, for your call. O double one double eight three zero seven zero two. Nicole, uh, if I may uh, ask, is there anything that does get affected um, um, in your vehicle when driving to the coast versus, you know, possibly being in Gauteng? Yeah, so the biggest influence is the altitude. So the atmospheric air pressure at the coast is obviously a lot higher than it is in Pretoria or Johannesburg. Remember Pretoria, Johannesburg, you what, thousand between a thousand four hundred and thousand seven hundred meters above sea level. So the atmospheric uh, pressure, the air pressure, is a lot lower. So with a naturally aspirated engine. If you're driving from the coast up uh, to Pretoria, you're actually losing power because the engine can't breathe as well as at the at the ocean at sea level. Mm. Uh, and to the to the extent that you can have a drop in power of about 17% in a naturally aspirated engine 
if you drive from, say, Cape Town to Pretoria at the highest point. Um, so that's definitely, that influence your power, um, your, your power output of the engine. But then most modern engines now has got turbochargers, uh, which actually pressurizes the air before it uh, before the intake before it uh, gets uh, into the engine, and that turbocharger um, can actually then make up the, the the loss of air pressure. You go to Pretoria, so maybe it will work a bit harder in Pretoria, but it should supply the same pressure to the engine, so you don't get. That, uh, that power loss so much when it comes to turbo engines. Yes, yes. So is there anything that one can do with the, the engine losing power just in terms of how they are driving if they are driving from, you know, inland to the coast or the other way around? No, the, the only thing, I mean, it's, it's out of your control if you're naturally aspirated engine and, you, and, and it's lower atmospheric pressures outside, you will lose power. There's nothing you can do about it. But what you can do, you'll also see the octane of fuel changes. So at the coast, uh, you can get 95. Inland, you can get 93 or 95. Um, that's actually to combat the phenomenon called knock, uh, which is uh, automatic combustion in the engine. So at lower, at lower atmospheric pressures in a naturally aspirated engine, you can actually use a lower octane fuel without damage to the engine. Um, another um, article that I wrote quite a few years ago, we did testing on 93 and 95 at altitude, and it showed that if you're not running a turbo engine, you might as well just use 93 octane fuel and not 95 without losing any power, and there's no um, issue with reliability or anything with the engine. So maybe that's a good tip as well. Um, fuel with 93 and save some money because it's cheaper than 95 if you're, if you're in, inland. Yeah, and I'm gonna. I want us to take a call, but when we after this call, I'm going to ask you maybe to help us understand the difference. I'm one of those clueless people that actually have no idea when and why you would need to switch from 93 to 95. But let's quickly go to Eugene in Boxburg. Hi, Eugene. Hi, Rile Bokila. Good afternoon to you. Mm-hmm. Yes, good afternoon to you too. Rile Bokila, just a quick question to to Nico also then. Uh, Nico, concerning your the over-the-counter octane boosters that you buy, right? If I fill up 93 and I and I add that additive which they call an octane booster, because sometimes they specifically say that it actually helps to to reduce fuel consumption. Is that true or not? Okay, so when it comes to octane boosters, remember octane is not energy. People confuse to think, okay, 95 fuel has got more energy per liter than 93. Not true. Same amount of energy in the fuel. And when it comes to performance vehicles, so your high-end sports cars, uh, your turbo engines, highly strong engines, um, the octane helps with the ignition timing on a petrol engine. So if you can... um, if you can improve with ignition timing, so um, then you can actually get more power out of the engine. But there's a risk. If you if you advance the ignition timing too much, then you get into that situation of knock or auto combustion, which can actually break the engine. Um, modern engines have got a, a knock control strategy, which will actually listen for knock in the engine and then retard the ignition timing. So it's very technical, but to 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 talk about it in, in layman's terms is if you've got a high-powered performance vehicle, maybe an AMG or MCAR or one of these high-art turbo engines, an octane booster will actually enhance the power output of the engine because it can run more advanced ignition timing. Um, if you're running a, a standard, uh, naturally aspirated engine, uh, not, a, not a performance engine as such, uh, octane booster will do absolutely nothing for you. It's just a waste of money. So if, if you run an octane booster, it's more to get more power out of the engine than to save fuel. I think the guys running octane boosters, they can't care less about fuel consumption. They just want more power.
Mm. Does that answer you, Eugene? Thank you, Libokila. All right, Shep, Shep, Eugene. We've got a WhatsApp that's asking, please ask, Nicole, does driving slow save fuel? Definitely. So if you're driving slow, um, there's less air resistance on the, on the vehicle, and therefore you will less, uh, use less fuel because it's an energy equation. So how much energy do you need to put in to reach that, that equilibrium of maybe cruising? So if you're cruising, if it's on the motorway, 120 versus and you're driving at 100, you will save a lot of uh, fuel compared to 120. So try it. Try it for a, a week's commute or so, especially if you do motorway driving. Um, lessen your acceleration and lessen your average speed, and you'll definitely see a drop in, in fuel consumption. One thing I didn't mention before is also check your tire pressures. Uh, they should be at the, the standard of the manufacturer. You can see it maybe on a sticker on the door, or the fuel flap, or your owner's manual. They need to be at the correct um, um, pressures. Uh, Underinflated tire um, causes a lot of drag, rolling resistance, and also eat into your, your fuel consumption. So that's just one thing to add as well. Okay, so so what about things like freewheeling um, when you're going down a hill or the other tricks that you can do, um, you know, just to save up on the gas? Yeah, so freewheeling is an interesting one. It all depends on the gradient you're going down and if you're exceeding the speed limit or not. So um, the, 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 modern, Very good point. the modern engines are all fuel injected um, and the strategy works in a way that if you're in gear you're using the engine as engine braking as you go down the slope so sometimes you have to put it in gear otherwise you will go over the speed limit then if you're in gear and you are what we call on the overrun it actually cut, cuts the, uh, the injection completely so you use no fuel going down under engine braking situation and um, if you go down the hill in neutral but you use the brakes to slow you down the, the engine still needs to idle and that idle does use a small amount of fuel. So that's why I say if it's a very steep incline, you need to keep the speed limit. Best is to stick it in gear. If it's a gradual uh, 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 slope you're going down, then it's sort of a balance. Should I go for neutral and rather use the, get the idle uh, fuel consumption or do I stick it in gear and, and, and maybe it slows down too much? But as we're speaking, I mean, it's, you're talking about, uh, I don't know, even, even a percent in fuel consumption, maybe even less than a percent. So, I mean, we, we're talking about small amounts here. Yes, yes, completely understand. And then what was it that you were saying about 93 and 95? Yes, yeah, so um, at the coast you'll find 95, as I mentioned, octane rating is not energy. It's uh, for the engine to combat that knock phenomenon, which is damaging to the engine. And if the air pressure is lower, if you go inland, you can go to 93, no issue with your naturally aspirated engine. So a normal run-of-the-mill cars can all run perfectly fine on 93. If you've got a performance vehicle inland and you want to extract the maximum performance, then 95 is a good idea, but you pay for it because it's more expensive than 93. Even if you've got a performance car and you run 93, it still won't damage the engine. You might just get a slightly less power out of the engine because it needs to retard the ignition timing slightly. So, yeah, top tip, if you run a normal car, just fill up with 93. There will be no uh, performance loss and you'll save at the pumps. And then I have a non-technical question that's come through on WhatsApp. Koketso in Pretoria is saying, how do we ensure that garages... sell us the actual quantity bought. I saw a video where a machine said 5 litres, but only 4.5 litres were poured into the bottle. How do we know how much is poured in our vehicles? Do we need reader uh, confirm the amount of fuel poured in our cars? 
Yes, so all the forecourt steel pumps are calibrated regularly and then they sealed up. Uh, and that's, uh, I mean, there's authority looking at the forecourts uh, at the calibration. And if, if you think that there's a dodgy pump out there, you can actually report it. Unfortunately, I forgot the name now of the organization, but I'm sure Google will tell you. You can report it. They will investigate that pump. And if it's find, if they find that something has gone wrong, it's been tampered with, that seal's been broken, and it was on purpose that that calibration is out, that fuel station will be closed down. Wow. So there's actually no reason for the fuel uh, forecourts to start tampering because they will lose their, their license and it's uh, not a good idea. So for most parts, I think the fuel pumps are actually accurately calibrated. Yes. Oh, wow. Thank you so much, Nicole Lowe. We have run out of time, but uh, your information and knowledge is extremely valuable, valuable to us. Nicole Lowe, technical specialist and former technical editor for Car Magazine.